Hello and welcome to Obehi Podcast. I'm your host, Obehi Ewan And I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share. Now let's get started with this episode. This kind of interview is supposed to be heard while I am at home. But unfortunately, I walked yesterday and uh, we have a shootout and explosion you know, in the city. So none of us were able to go home because mm-hmm. we have to address the situation. So when um, your call came in, I couldn't hold back. So that is why I'm here. So I just quickly hop into my, my car and like, I'm going to do this. That is why I'm here. Thank you very much. What we are discussing today is about the role of the diaspora, the role of the diaspora Nigerians in building the kind of future that we want in Nigeria in terms of leadership, in terms of quality leadership. And by quality leadership, we're actually looking at a set of a kind of leadership that is based on the interest of the people. In fact, in any part of the world, even in the past in Africa, when we talk of the gallant history of Africa, it has been about the people. We talk of maybe, for example, the traditional ruler, the Oba, the Emir, all of them, they have been about the people. They build on the people. And these people are used to be able to build a solid society. So it's a very um, mutual relationship. But what we have today in Africa, using Nigeria always as a point of reference in this case, is completely different. The leaders are not really like connected to the people. They are detached. So, uh, so the person who is observing this, we see that there is a problem. So we are trying to create this connection. So this is why we are talking about this people-oriented leadership. So let me come back to you, Mr. Alade. What kind of yes, leadership do we want in Africa? Thank you very much. Like you rightly said, I think I agree with you to a very large extent. Uh, when you are talking about leadership, you are not really talking about the people uh, that are in position of power. But you are actually describing how they are able to use the powers in their hands to influence the people and the society. And that is what leadership is technically all about. But in Africa, say Nigeria, for example, we have a situation where leadership are no longer people-oriented. And all of this began after Nigeria discovered its oil. The proceed of oil you know, make our our leaders become so corrupt that for them to continue in the, continue their cycle of corruption, they feel the people are no longer important. Instead of focusing on the people, they focus on themselves based on what they accrue from the wealth of our nation. You know, so by so doing, they completely detached themselves from the people and they see the people as no longer important. They see the people like, you know, people that does not exist at all. And that is why they, that is where they miss it. And that is why you see that despite this huge money that is coming out of Nigeria, it's not doing any good. Because, yes, you can amass all this wealth, you can get all this money, but you need the power, the will, and the brain of the people to turn this wealth 
to a national glory. But by the time you detached, you detached the people, there is no way you can get anybody that will help you, you know, make good use of this money, you know, for general good. So you now have a situation where African leaders now embezzle, you know, money, then they, trans they, they, they transport them abroad, you know, because they completely, you know, neglect their own people. You know, they did not know that the people are the hall of leadership. You know, so it's a very, um, it's a very sad situation. Thank you for that, uh, Monday. You see, you you made mention of uh, the oil as being the beginning from where uh, we got to where we are today. A very precarious and um, perilous situation, as it were, you no? Know? In that uh, the leadership that we have in Nigeria, that we have had for uh, several uh, years, has really created a situation that make the Nigerian people, the Nigerian youth, for example, not to be proud of who they are. And when this happened, it made them want to abandon the process of statehood, of nationhood. Uh, but that is something I really still am proud of, of being a Nigerian and of the Nigerian people. Is that despite the mutilation of the humanity of the average Nigeria, somehow we still believe that it can work. This is this is a huge opportunity that the Nigerian leaders are not taking advantage of. They haven't yet realized that there is a limit to which you can push a cow, but when you push it too much, then it, be, it will go to reverse back to you. So, unlike what has happened in many clients in Africa, by the extent at which the Nigerian set of leaders have ruined the future of the country, we should already be in a civil war. But it's appeared that there is a sense of the people, I, I don't know, let, let me say we have had a sense of education, believing that we are, we are going to have to survive somehow. Yeah, yeah, please, please intervene. Can I come in right there? You see, it was a deliberate calculation. When, if you look at the growth of religion, especially Christianity and Islam, if you look at their growth in the last, say, 20 years, you will agree with me that it was a calculated effort. If you look at it side by side, you know, with the political uncertainty and how and how Nigerian leadership have used, you know, their power, you know, so arrogantly and egregiously, you know, you will see that both religion and this political uh, uncertainty they kind of, you know, combine together to drain Nigeria to the extent that an average Nigerian does not only see his or herself as a person that is worthless, but they actually think of themselves like, oh, there's nothing we can do to help the situation. This is actually because your religion or your, your faith is telling you, oh, don't fight. Don't agitate. You cannot argue with these people. If you fight with them, they're going to kill you and blah, blah, blah. You know, all of that played into it. If you go to the north, for example, you will see how these Islamic clerics use Islam to continue to brainwash the people in such a way that 
they make them believe that if only one man amassed the wealth of the entire northern region, you cannot question that that person is called Alan Guru. You know, you cannot question him because Islam asks you, you know, to be subservient. So you can see how religion played into it. They use it to fool our mind, you know, and in addition to this, our culture generally, like the culture of respecting people in authority or people that are older than us, you cannot look them in the face, you cannot ask them questions, you cannot, you know, you cannot even question their morals. You know, all of that are part of the reason why you see that Nigerians are helpless. You know, they combine together to play on the psychic of Nigerians. Now, as if that is not enough, our leaders then deliberately use hunger, the lack of opportunity, you know, to play that politics very hard on the people because when someone is hungry, when someone is deprived, it, my dear, it becomes so difficult for you to even think of, for you to even think straight because your number one thing you are thinking is survival. So anybody who is able to, to give you a stipend at that point, he's seen like a, like, a, like a hero. It doesn't even matter how the money, where the money comes from, you know? So that is, that is the situation. So, and you also see how in the last 15, 20 years, how they bastardize our educational system. The Nigerian educational system that used to be very vibrant, that is made up of intellectuals, people who debate national issues, professors who who who, who will steer your your mind. You know they would they would you know they would do things to your mind that you will never be the same. But unfortunately, all of these people have lost track. They all derailed because everybody is now struggling for survival. So nobody even care for the general good anymore. Nobody even think right anymore because they are hungry. All right. Yeah, that is, that, is, that is the point. That is the key point that somebody must really take home. That hunger has become an instrument that they are using to keep the Nigerian people under check. Uh, like I have said in this podcast a number of times, it appears that the issue of Nigeria should be should be important for the whole of Africa. Uh, this is the reason. It appears that the manipulation of certain states in Africa is sometimes beyond... Okay, I don't want to go into systemic uh, structure here. But what I really want to point out is that when some significant states in Africa are rather hopeless, it is, a re- it is, it is for a reason. That, there is no doubt about that. But the question is, for we as a people, come on, we can't continue to, to run the system like this, to just uh, submit ourselves to be slaughtered like this. It is not acceptable. It is not acceptable. So the, uh, you see, the question that you were raising about uh, leadership, about uh, the use of uh, religion to mislead the people, it is something that I have equally be, uh, that I've equally be worried about at the point. You see, up until the coming of Boko Haram, there, were, there have been a sense of even uh, the Christian indoctrination, extreme indoctrination of a certain section of the Nigerian society, particularly in the South. 
And when the issue of Boko Haram came up, the way the media, particularly the international media, played on it, it appeared as if the battle has been set. Nigeria, it is time for you to go out and begin to slaughter yourself in the name of Islam and Christianity. It was clearly, it was just split into two, Islam and Christianity. On the basis of this, we should be fighting. But this is the kind of a build-up. It has been built, it has been coming. This is why I said again that I'm very proud of the Nigerian people, the, the, the average Nigerian youth who is not really looking for, who is not really buying into that bloodshed. And this has sort of saved the situation. And for the Nigerian authority, for the Nigerian people, the leader, those who, who are able to speak out, it is time that we speak to the power in Nassau Rock that we cannot continue anymore to be slaughtered the way that we are continuously being slaughtered, we cannot talk. Look at, for example, the, the, the protest that came out, the NSAS protest. What did those youth do that they needed the military to crush them? What did they do? This is what every country do in any part of the world to, to bring some sanity into the system. What did they do? I saw a reflection on that then because we are going to then move into the diaspora because that is actually our main focus. But it is very important that we set the background, we sort of lay the background of the situation because we're not just talking. There are the issues in Nigeria is really complex sometimes. So what is your take on that? Obey, thank you so much. You see, um the issue of Boko Haram didn't just spring out of the blues. It was a calculated effort. And if you remember there was a time Buhari actually said monkey and baboon will be soaked in blood. And since that time, Boko Haram have been reigning supreme in Nigeria. And since Buhari became the president of Nigeria, you know, the situation snowballed into, you know, what you will see, in, a, in a, for example, in a country like Somalia. Nigeria has, you know, become a Somalia of its own self. Now, what I will tell you is that the people are not the issue here, but we have national leaders who deliberately sponsor these, you know, these rebels against the state. Now, Nigerians have responsibility, and that responsibility is to make sure that they hold this leader like this accountable. And that is why I have continued to advocate for a common front as against secession. Like, if you look at what is going on, and people calling for Odudua Republic, people calling for Biafra, all of that will never solve our national problem. If the youths of Nigeria, whose future has been ostracized by men like Buhari and Chinubu, you know, if we can form a common front that will be built on understanding, good leadership and followership, with clear vision, we can hold these people accountable. And that is the solution to Nigeria. And so shall it be if it leads to bloodshed. There has been no society in human history that came out of a situation we have in Nigeria, you know, with just bread and butter. No, it never happened in history. Go back to history. So, to, to, 
to, to say this clearly, you will understand that these cruel men that had Nigeria spare bound, they are not ready to let Nigeria go. That is why you saw the situation that happened in Lekitoge. Because they knew that that common front that the people formed was so powerful, it was a strong movement that could have, you know, that could have ended this anarchy and bad leadership in Nigeria. So they have to use the military to crush the soul of those people. But when the military killed those innocent civilians, the next day, the people would have worked stronger. They would have come out in their large number again. They would have reinforced to say, oh, you're going to kill us? We're going to make this ungovernable. You will kill us. But at the end of the day, we believe in, we believe in, we are confident in our own victory. But unfortunately, religion, sweet political talks, uh, bribery, and some other underground work crept into the system. Then you see that gradually the NSAS, you know, project fades away. Instead of it to grow, to grow stronger and withstand the system that was trying to kill it, it fades away. Then another thing that happened that I continue to hammer on is that Nigerians, sometimes we don't know how to properly organize situation. You see, Mr. Soware may have had his own issues. We may have disagreed with the way he is doing his own things, but I will tell you one thing. He is very knowledgeable. He is widely recognized. And he knows how to work the press. That is why you see known, you see most Nigerian press are not giving him the audience that he deserved. During that answers protest, nearly all the interviews that were aired abroad, that were granted to Nigerians here in America, in Britain, everywhere, would have been anchored or would have been, people like Sowore would have been nominated or Aisha, uh, Aisha, the, the lady, uh, Aisha Yusuf. Those are the people that were supposed to be at the forefront. But Nigerians played into the politics of the Nigerian state that, that, that painted someone like Sowore and Aisha Yusuf as people who are who are trying to lie to the people. And we failed. You have a situation where people who are not really too grounded in the Nigerian political issue and how to actually speak to foreign press, championing the cause of conversation in America. So unfortunately, we couldn't get the audience that we needed. <laughs> I, I vividly watched the interview of Faust, right? The musician. With um, with Amapora, the CNN uh, anchor. Even when Amapora was trying to press Faust to the corner to make him 
speak to the fact that Buhari, you know, is actually the person behind all these killings and all of that. You can see false good in... It is not about speaking good English. I am talking to you about the technicalities that is involved in in propaganda, in using the power of propaganda to gain the necessary audience that you need. He couldn't understand it. <laughs> Thank so, you. So, yeah, yeah, please, please go. So, I, know, I really so, want to say so, something about that. Yeah, go. So that is a huge problem. And that is why you see the NSAS movement failed. If not, that would have been the movement that would have liberated Nigeria today. We would have been talking something else today, not discussing this satanic Buhari and all and, and, and uh, Man, thank you so much. Yeah, 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 welcome. yeah, welcome, bro. I really appreciate that. You see, when we are talking of the quality of leaders, we're also looking at their level of communication. You, you actually said it, Adnan. It's not a, a bad question of knowing grammar or knowing how to speak English, but also knowing how to communicate because communication is very important. Okay, now I want to I want to state clearly that in the pre-independence Africans, when you take for example the Obar of Benin, for example, maybe the Obar of Benin might not be very eloquent in speaking, but the person who represents the kingdom of Benin, when he had to deal with other kingdom with other power, was very good. It is, you can call it propaganda, but it's actually a mechanism because you are going to sell the image of the people. Now, that is the thing. <laughs> I, I, I think... it, you, will, you will be hitting on the right issues, you know, because what Faust was missing in that conversation was the fact that Buhari has destroyed Nigerian democracy before. The international community knows Buhari to be someone that is of evil tendencies. So Amapora was trying to play to that. He was trying to call false attention to all of that. Speak all these things. Nail all these things. Draw attention. But unfortunately, he didn't get it. <laughs> but, but, but someone like Sowore would have cut it immediately and would have played into it and called Buhari who he truly was. Uh, you know? They, they don't understand the basis. They don't understand the basis. That is what I'm telling you. <laughs> Those are the technicalities that are involved in communication. It is not just speaking grammar. It is not just, oh, I am a lawyer or I am influential in the society. You imagine even some of the best, the most educated people on earth still have their own communication department with people that speak for them, write for them. It is because of a reason. But, but the point really is that by the time we get quality leaders, this leader should have all the quality that is required. Because I, I say it before, and I'm going to repeat it again. Leadership is not a favor. You don't, you don't become a leader because somebody favor you. You don't become a leader of a country because you are the, you are the most beautiful, you are the most handsome. It is, it's a sacrifice. You must accept to really make this sacrifice. You are making decisions that affect millions of people. So you must be prepared. If you are not prepared for it, don't come. Go home and prepare. Because it is not a job to go and try. You don't try with the life of millions of people. I've listened to the speech of Buhari, for example. Buhari was speaking in, in the U.S. He was being interviewed about after the, after the election. And Buhari said, 
that where you cannot expect, first of all, I want to point out one thing, that the journalist that was asking Buhari a question needed somebody to translate for Buhari. The person was speaking English. The person that needed to translate was speaking English. And to Buhari, they were also speaking English. Which means Buhari was not hearing the English that the journalist was saying. That is one thing. Secondly, who said Buhari could not speak Hausa? If you cannot speak English, why not speak Hausa? Why should my Nigerian leader go to the uh, office of the United Nations and be managing to speak English? Why can't you speak Igbo? Speak Yoruba? We need to speak our, our languages. If you cannot know, if you do not know the, the official language of Nigeria, I get that. You say, okay, you, want, you are patriotic. You want to uh, speak the traditional African languages. Fine. We have three important languages in Nigeria, Hausa, Igbo, Yoruba. If you can speak one, they will have somebody to translate for you. But articulate the point. Say it the way it is. Be very intelligent when you communicate. Whether you are talking of evil, uh, evil, uh, uh, good luck when he was speaking to him, looking at a Basa John. Look, some of this leader could be good in some area. But in the question of leadership, sorry, you need to have it all around in most of the cases. We can't manage you because there are some Nigerians at home who have never left Nigeria, who can articulate the point very well, who know what they are talking about. Because if you cannot even talk, how are you able to understand the culture that have been sent to you from, from, from Beijing, from Paris, and from London, and from New York? This, there are a lot of hidden codes that are inside those contracts. If you cannot understand this properly, then you are selling the country's future. All right, now, that is a no for that. Let's come back to the question of the diaspora. Uh, where do you, how do you see the role of the diaspora in the shaping of African future, the shaping of African leadership future? Obey, thank you so much, and I think I like the point you were making too. From time to time in Africa, and I'm going to be focused on Nigeria, and I'm going to be focusing on Nigeria, there has been no time that the Nigerians in diaspora have not played a very vital role, you know, in um, bringing Nigeria out of a conundrum or ensuring that, you know, they shape the country in a way that, you know, that, that meets, you know, the standard of the day. If you look at it from the time of independence, people like Azikiwe, our great father, Someone like Chief Obafemi Awolowo, Amadu Bello, and all these great guys, they all have one Western experience or the other. None of them, you know, came out of, you know, the Nigeria and make the differences they made. They all have international exposure that guided how they, you know, that guided their actions. And at the end of the day, they were able to win independence for Nigeria. And if you also look at the Abata days when the struggle got tougher, and people in Nadeko, CDLO, CD, and all of that, Radio Kudirat and Waleso Inca were actually formed here in the United States. And from here, these people were able to mobilize and they were able to come together fight Abacha, fight Babangida, and all of them to a standstill. So the diasporans, our role is very, very critical to the survival of Nigeria. There is no way anybody can rule it out. And 
part of what we need is a coordinated front from here. Because I will tell you the truth, we have to be sincere with ourselves. Living in abroad has a way of shaping your mind, your thought, and even your resources, you know, because by the vice, even let me assume you are an ordinary cleaner in the United States, for example, I tell you, it will impact your behavior to your society. You will see that you will even take glory in that little job that you do because whatever you're earning is legitimate and it's even, it's even enough for you to leave, you know. So all these things combined together are the things that are missing back home that we need to take back home. Now, in addition to that, the people of Nigeria have been crushed their souls have been crushed over time. And to a very large extent, a lot of them have come to even take neg uh, negative, uh, how do I use it? You know, when you continue to reinforce lies, it becomes something that is normal. So many of our people don't even believe in the truth anymore. They don't, they don't even know how the truth looks like. But for some of us that have lived here or that are living here, you know, we know how an ideal society runs. You know, we know when a leader is doing something right. We know when a leader is doing something wrong, you know. So all of this, we can form a united front, you know, that can support every other actions in Nigeria. For example, you can see what happened in the UK when Buhari was there, people, Nigerians in diaspora went there and were saying, go back home. You saw when they also went to pursue the other senator and all of that. Even when Buhari came here, we protested and all of that. So all of these have a huge impact. Not only that it draws the world attention to the meanings and bad leadership that is going on in Nigeria, it also helped to, you know, to create a huge awareness among Nigerians on why they actually need to get on the street and protest against bad leadership. You know, so these are some of the things, you know, some of the benefits and some of our role. Take, for example, during the pandemic, Nigerians abroad contributed so much to their Africa, to their Nigerian home than any other ethnic group or any other, you know, group in America. So that shows how important we are. It shows the power that we also command. But I just hope the Nigerian people or the Nigerians at home will open their heart enough to actually understand what we are doing and to get on the same page. We are not saying you are not trying. We are not saying you are not doing something right. We are not saying you are lazy. We are not, there's no need for envy. But what we are saying is that we can all be on the same point. We can be on the same front. Because you know, we now have a situation where if you talk to a Nigerian at home, they'll say, oh, if, if not, they say, you dare America. You go to talk like this. You come Nigeria, come stay here. May we don't say make you yeah. not come America. Nobody is asking you not to yeah. come to the U.S. Nobody is asking you not to leave Nigeria if you can. Yeah. But the thing is that we cannot continue to allow Nigeria to remain the way it is. And we have a role 
inside of these social meanings that has pervaded the entire length and breadth of Nigeria. And it all comes from we having a common understanding that something is fundamentally wrong. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it, is, it is the truth. Uh, something is fundamentally wrong with the, with the system. And uh, any person, any Nigeria, any right-thinking Nigeria that didn't know or that have realized that something is fundamentally wrong, then something is fundamentally wrong with that person. Because I agree with you. <laughs> because uh, this is not the way a people function. With the huge resources that is available among us, with the kind of people that are representing us are not the people that are supposed to represent us. They are, we have too many qualified people in Nigeria now. These are these are people that are just drawing Abada around everywhere we, we, without, without the, the minimal concept of what it means. You see, it is important today, today especially, with the COVID-19, the whole economy in the world are locked to a point. We don't need leaders just to sympathize. We need people that should really strategize, people who really should know what they are doing, who really should tap it on the very best among the Nigerian all over the world. Let's tap it on the very best. I don't care where you are coming from. As long as you are a Nigerian, what can you offer? Your very best is what we need now. But we cannot get that if we don't have leader who is able to see the vision. Because vision is part of the thing, a part of the quality of being a good leader. Where is the Nigerian leader taking the Nigerian people to? Now, let me give you an instance. You see, in Europe, where we are, the news that a lot of Nigerians are dying on the, street, on the, on the Mediterranean Sea to get to Europe, you can't tell me that the Nigerian government is not aware of this. Or maybe you will tell me, ah, maybe the Nigerian government have suddenly come out with a plan. And the plan is to tell the Italian government, block the sea so that Nigeria will not cross over. But that is stupid. That is not a plan. You can't tell me that they didn't know how many Nigerians have died crossing between the uh, between Niger to uh, to uh, to Libya, and the torture that these young Nigerians are facing there. I get the point that some of these some of this might be because they didn't get the, the right information. Some of this might be because there are these young people that want to get money by all means. But come on, if they get the money at all, will they go to sacrifice their life abroad? Obey. Can I just come in there? Please. I will tell you, the reason why you and me are even discussing Nigeria is because of our love for that nation. You and I, if we do a deep soul searching, you and I never really intended to leave everything we have known, our childhood friends, our family, our extended family, nuclear, and everything we know, our food, our togetherness and just come to a strange land. You and I never really wanted it. We are here just because our home does not support us anymore. The center is completely broken. The system did no longer see you and me as necessary anymore. What they see is their own pocket, those of their family, and their own very survivor. So, since you and I does not have the tool to stand up to them, we look for the next available place where we can find hope. That is why we are here. 
But having arrived here, we missed our home. We think about it every day. We love it. We are trying to see what we can do to help, to make sure that other people do not suffer the way we suffered. But now you have a situation where certain individuals continue to sabotage this effort. And as they continue to sabotage this effort, it continues to worsen the situation at home. And every other person at home want to enjoy or want to cross the Mediterranean Sea, no, irrespective of anything. That is the situation. Unfortunately, the government of the day, because the people are no longer the center of government, the government of the day did not care if, if Nigerian dies. That is the issue. If the government of the day cares, it would have done something drastic to address that obnoxious experiences that Nigerians face at the Mediterranean Sea on their way to Libya also and what they are facing in some other Arab country. We would have addressed this. And for, to, for you to actually see it clearly, look at how many Nigerians Boko Haram have killed. Look at how many Nigerians have been forcefully adopted by unknown criminals. Look at how many Nigerians, look at the experiences, the harrowing experiences they go through in the hands of kidnappers. But the federal government of Nigeria didn't deem it fit to address this menace. Buhari couldn't even take one minute to speak to Nigerians about the situation of security that has grown precarious, that has become so, so, so terrible. He never sees anything important in discussing it. Recently, I read somewhere that some OPC members went and arrested um, one of the Fulani headsmen leader that was running terror somewhere. But instead of, this was traditionally the role of the police. But since the police failed, the people took decisive steps to safeguard their own lives. But the state, the Nigerian state, is using the power it gained from the people to deprive the people. Buhari now arrested these OPC members, took them in Black Maria to jail and to all kinds of courts and all of that. And why the real culprit? Walking away free. How do we describe all of this? Uh, all right, uh, Mr. Lade, you see, you are a security expert. So I have one question for you. Before I get to the question, I want to paint a picture. You see, um, Buhari, when he was coming to power, he made excuses that can even be interesting because the president then, good Lord Jonathan, was not of a military background. So Buhari could say, Well, I'm a military expert, I'm coming from the military background. I will defeat the Boko Haram in a, in, a no, in a short time. That would even be very interesting as an argument to make. And he did make it. But how many years now has Buhari been the president of Nigeria? And he still cannot defeat the Boko Haram. But let me point out something about this issue of Boko Haram thing. That first of all, it is too small for the Nigerian government to crush, if they really want to crush it, to start with. 
because that is the biggest military in Africa. They have the manpower. If they don't have the resources, it's a question of acquiring it. So you cannot tell me that any significant element like that of the Boko Haram is taking Nigeria for hosting. It's a lie. It is because those that are behind it are within the Nigerian government. If they are not, if they want Boko Haram to be finished by tomorrow, let's launch the Nigerian army on wherever they are. If they are inside the Sabisa forest, we will burn it down. Nigeria have the power to do that. They have the power to enter into Niger and fish them out if they run into Niger. But they haven't done it, not because they don't have the possibility to do it. If Boko Haram kidnap American soldier, by tomorrow, Boko Haram will become a history. There is no magic about it. That is, these guys are just lying to us. Now, in Nigeria, especially in the South, um, the issue of, uh, of the cattle going into the farm and destroying the farm, and thereby uh, causing problems between the cattle rearer and the local people, have become a, have become, um, a political tool that the government of the day is using. But first of all, who gave you the right to enter into my farm with your cattle? Who gave you the right? If Nigerian people, let's say the Nigerian government want people to be rearing cattle in Nigeria, why are there no places where people can rear their cattle? Why should it be that somebody come from another part of the country, enter into the farmland of another person, and then fight with the person? What are you waiting for? What, what do you want to insinuate by that? Let, let, me, let, me, let me come in right there, okay? I think, let me start from the first question, the first issue you raised. I'll tell you, Buhari was not prepared for his job. He wanted the job of a president, but unfortunately, he wasn't prepared for it. And if you look at his military history, the way the man even became um, a military general is something that is very questionable. He has no YAC resort. Till date, nobody has come out to say, oh, I went to school with Buhari. None. Living and dead, none we could, we could point to. So he wasn't prepared for this job. He got into military negligently, and negligently he ascended the, so, you know, every other rank, and became a two-star general. He was in error. He did not, I don't call him major general. He never merited that rank. Even while he was 1983, when he was, um, was it 83? When he first came as a military commander, he was technically behind the scene. Most of the things he was doing were anchored by Tunde in Diagno who was the brain power of that administration. So Buhari, you know, was never prepared to be the president of a nation. Although he wanted it, but for a different reason totally. And the reason he wanted it is exactly what we've been seeing in the last six or seven years or so of his administration. He wanted that power to make sure he protect his own Fulani people. He wanted that power to destroy Nigeria. He wanted that power to actually build 
the country where he truly came from. He is not a Nigerian. He is from the Nigerian mm-hmm. Republic. That was what he wanted. And if you see his policies, he's been the success of Nigeria, not the success of Nigeria. So that is clear. So he is not going to def- defeat Boko Haram because Boko Haram has become a political tool in his hands that he is using to steal money. That is why he is able to arrest the, the Boko Haram members that were arrested. Buhari said he has um, re... How did they say that word? That they have um, given up their their bad side. Buhari conscripted these elements into the Nigerian <laughs> army. So what do you think he was doing? He re, he was reinforcing his own base so that he can have that that power against the people, so that he can continue to build loyalists that will allow him do the evil that he came to do. That is what he was doing. That is why he could conscript into the Nigerian army a terrorist. I've never heard that before. There's nowhere, no country, no nation does that except Buhari. So that by the side, I don't even want to dwell so much on that. We know he is the brain behind Boko Haram. We, we know this long ago. It's just that they continue to fool themselves. On the issue of the Fulani headsmen, I think there is something that is way beyond our own understanding. I will tell you, when I was a child, when I was in, a child in elementary school, it wasn't like this. The Fulani headsmen has always been part of our society. They have always been part of us. There is a certain period of the year when they, when they come to, uh, to the south with their cows. But these years, they don't go to people's farm. I remember vividly, they will come to my primary school, their cattle will eat the grasses on our, on our school field. And each of these Fulani people then, they will hold one tiny stick, not AK-47. And this tiny stick, they use it to, to control their animals. And as they are hiding, their wives are also in the society with us. They will pull something like calabash, selling like traditional medicines. Some of them will be selling fura de nunu. Some of them will be selling some of this good stuff. They were part of our society, and they are Nigerians. They have the rights to live on everywhere in Nigeria. They have the legal right to dwell wherever they feel they want to live in in Nigeria. But where it gets tricky is that since Buhari came into power, these same Fulani people that used to be our brothers and sisters, that used to be our good friends, that used to be our good neighbors, that used to even give us medicine, that used to give us Pura de Nunu, that used to give us fresh cow, cow milk, suddenly came killer killers. That is where we should be 
talking about? Who gave them this AK-47? How did they get them? What are they doing with this AK-47? What is their intention? Why people that used to graze on open field, why all of a sudden they are not aggravating people by grazing on people's farm? I just told you, they were part of us. They will come to my school field, not my father's farm or my mother's farm. They come to an open school field. We are happy. We grow close to these animals. We are trying to look at We're singing in a don't language, Malu, you know. But why all of a sudden, these same Fulani people that we are our friends become enemy overnight? That is what we should be looking into. Right. Who are people investing in this? When I went to do my NYC in Yobe State, I lived among Fulanis. A Fulani man told me to marry his daughter. This was how much he loved me. It has never happened. I will go inside their heart, sit down and drink Fura and drink Nunu. I'm telling you the truth in your best state, in Damaturu. They were living very close to where I was living then, but I was so interested in them. Because I looked at their lifestyle, it's something that, 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 that was so interesting. So I'll go sit down in their little hut. I'll be interacting with them. The little boy will be singing for me. The little girl will be singing for me. I'm just being sincere with you. I love them. All right. That, you, that... you can't begin to think what went wrong. How come they're not carrying AK-47? Who invested in this AK-47? All right. So that, that is the, that is the question. Uh, anyway, you are you are uh, you are a security expert. I am happy that you you look at the different angle about it. No, uh, of course nobody could uh, could dispute the fact that these are Nigerian. Of course, they have the right. You you rightly pointed it out. They have the right to live in every part of the country. But how did they how did they transform this friendship into anarchy? That is not it become an instrument of destabilization. That is it. That is what we should be looking into. That is because there is someone in Asso Rock with a hidden motive. And he is secretly instigating these people against the society. These were people that were very polite. These were people that were very reasonable. These were people that were pursuing their own daily job. You like it or not, my brother, every tribe in Nigeria have their own kind of way of life. Pardon is the way of life of the Fulani people. We know, okay, it is not a crime to be a harder. But the thing is that, how come all of a sudden, people that used to be very friendly, how come all of a sudden they become Fulani, they become killer harders? Yeah. How <laughs> if you look, those their wives that used to be in the system, the, while their husband is hiding, their wives are selling fura, they are selling their traditional medicine and all of that. How come we don't have them in the South anymore? We only have their men, we don't have the women anymore. What happened? Somehow, somebody is using the, the meekness, the, our humanity against us. The friendliness of the people are being used against them. Because the leaders, those who are supposed to be protecting the people, are just hitting their head against 
each one against the other so that they can manipulate them. This is not fair. This is not what leadership is about. All right, yeah. now let's they're, go back to the to the they're fracturing the, they are fracturing the system so that they can continue with their, their satanic manipulations. That is all the whole thing boils down to. Look at Buhari stealing our money and in the midst of Fulani killers and all of that, he is building refineries into to to Niger Republic, constructing railroad to, to, to Niger Republic. So this Fulani thing is a distraction. It is a deliberate attempt to deflect national conversation to allow him do whatever he think he wanted to do. Absolutely. You know, that's what it is. And of course, all the, all the other Nigerians are following him because he's just one person. And there is all this cuckoo of men that are, that are running around with him. Somehow, somebody needs to pay for the consequences. I agree with you. Anyway, now, let's go back to the diaspora, though. Um, now, looking at the African diaspora, looking at the Nigerian diaspora, is there something that we can look into other people, maybe non-African diaspora in other community, who have worked to help their home country, where they are coming from, is there something we can learn from other people? Yes, so much. Uh, if, for example, if you look at nations like China, Japan, India, they didn't just transform overnight. What happened? These people have a lot of diasporans who were very skilled, who were very well-educated, well-exposed, and they were having the willingness to go back to their country to go use that same knowledge they have acquired to rebuild their countries, their respective countries. And they did it excellently well. And what was great about it is that they were able to talk to one another and they were able to form a common front that is based on common understanding. Unfortunately, this is what is fundamentally wrong, you know, with the Nigerian community here in diaspora. A lot of us are well-educated with a lot of, you know, with good exposures. But if you look, we are also very divisive. There's no cohesion between among us. This one to do it that way, that one to do it that way. This one is a leader that is, we can all not lead. Yes, we can be the smartest. We can be the best, but unfortunately, we can all not lead. All right. In addition, yeah, to, yeah. in addition to leadership, there is the need for us to be able to form a common front that is very cohesive, that is very strong. We resolve, we stand by whatever we resolve. But if you look at Nigerians, it's very difficult for us to come together. And this is a big issue. <coughs> Excuse me. That is not only playing out here in America, between <coughs> among the Nigerian community, it's also the same problem at home. Yet the entire youths are divided against themselves. Look at the NSAS movement. So Ureb began it, began it, but unfortunately, when the whole thing gets heated, they sideline so Ureb, they sideline Aisha Yusuf, some other group formed their own, some other group formed their own. Sheon, Sheon Kuti was forming his own. Files was forming his own. Davido was doing his own. This two-faced, at the end of the day, there was no cohesion. You cannot use a single finger to pick lies in the head. It has to be 
everything come together. So that is exactly what Nigerians in diaspora need. We have to come together, form a common front, and use this common front to fight the situation back home. And we will make heads away. Like, for example, the symbolism of the broom that you used to sweep, you take one, you break it, it's very simple for you. And this is what, yeah. of course, the colonialists, the European colonialists and imperialists have used, and they continue to use it today. I just mentioned that one because when we got independence, most of African leaders, they just replaced the European leaders, the European colonialists, no? They begin to use the same system, but that was an error. Because then, you begin to see your brothers now as enemy. because the European, the, to the Queen of England, that was the head. It wasn't the upper of Benin that was the head. The upper of Benin and his people, all the subjects, were just considered as subjects. But for us, we didn't consider Oba as just subjects. That is the head. It's a top head. For us to be able to govern ourselves, we need to re revolutionize the system where we will put the people at the center. Because in the colonial system, the whole of the African system, Nigeria, <clears throat> call it Ghana, whatever, they were looked upon like satellite town. You know, satellite in the sense that if you go to university, you see that maybe when the university is too full, they create a separate place to host the, the students. That is called satellite campuses. But that is not the main campus. That, main, that campus is responding to the main campus. That is how the European designed the African political structure. In that they didn't really think it was necessary to create the luxury for the people. The citizenship they created in Africa were people without rights. I could understand it up to the point of the European. But when we have African leaders, they should consider the people as the most important. So that the, the, they should, their survival should be, become, should be very important. We should, we should sort of detach ourselves from that system of looking at the European as the real people, we are just living, we are just existing for their interests. That is not the way it's supposed to be, no. We are a people. Our survival is the primary important. We can go to war for it. We can die for it. We can protect it. It is going to be very, very clear. Coming back again to the diaspora, do we have some advantages that we can tap into? What are these advantages that we do have? We have so many advantages, so many. And part of it is the fact that if you, I think sometimes in, um, during uh, Trump's administration, when he was trying to crucify Nigerians, you know, and he also went ahead and um, say Nigerians cannot come to America anymore. There was actually a CNN anchor that actually detailed you know, the excellence and the achievements of Nigerians abroad, especially here in the U.S. This is a huge advantage. This body of knowledge is something that we can take back home that can actually become something that will work miracle for our nation. I think Nigerians abroad, we have a huge knowledge base and a huge exposure. We have a very huge knowledge base that can transform Nigeria overnight. And this is something that we really need to look into. For example, like if you give me the Nigerian police, for example, I have the necessary skill sets that is needed to transform 
the Nigerian police overnight if I am given the right atmosphere that is devoid of manipulations or people from the top trying to tell me what to do or what not to do. Okay? It can be transformed. And I am telling you that there are other highly skilled Nigerians abroad as well that have this huge expertise in the medical, in medical industry, in pharmacy, in, in insurance, in the military, just name it. We have people. But the argument is that would Nigerian states allow these experts to come in and do their thing? They will not. They would rather go pick Chinese, fake Chinese people that are not even as skilled as us. They will bring them, but because they can use money to manipulate them, they can use them to do money laundry because they are white as well. They are light-skinned. They will prefer them than you and me. That is the problem. We don't believe in our own. We don't believe in our own selves. We don't believe in our own power, our own creative power. We don't believe in them. So this is a huge problem for the Nigerian state. And that is why the Nigerian state continues to neglect its own people and will rather impose less qualified foreigners on Nigerians. It's a huge problem. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Aladev. Now, um, as part of the, the, the solution, <clears throat> I'm trying to look at the possibility of networking because, uh, like you have pointed out, we do have a lot of resources among the Nigerian community in, um, in, in the diaspora, which is absolutely true. It has been verified. It is evident everywhere, whether you are talking of the UK or uh, Germany or even in a, 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 a country where Nigeria uh, started to come of recent, like Italy and the rest, there are a lot of qualified people, really, uh, that are able to uh, do extraordinary job. Of course, we are not saying, I do not subscribe to the idea that all the Nigerians abroad must return home. I do not subscribe to that. We are free to live wherever we want to live in the world, but we should be able to connect, just interconnect and able to network. Because, for example, uh, when you look at other uh, diaspora's community in the world, whether you are looking at, whether you are talking of the Japanese, talking of the Chinese, talking of the Italians, talking of, uh, uh, of, the, of the Germans, talking of the Israelis, talking of the Arabs. These are guys that have built huge community, maybe in the United States, in Canada, in UK. But without their country being successful, they are nobody wherever they are. If I think this is one of the reasons why Africans abroad are humiliated in most of the cases, not all the time, in most of the cases, because they know that who is going to fight for you? Nobody. If a Nigerian is treated unjustly in UK, I say we will just beg on the benevolent of the United States or the UK government to pardon the person. The Nigerian government cannot stand up and say, oh, that is my citizen, you cannot do that. If you do that, you are going to pay the consequences. We haven't got the people in Nigeria with that kind of Effortly to stand up for the Nigerian people. But you didn't do that to a British citizen in Nigeria. The UK government will stand up because they love their people. The United Kingdom government is for the interest of the people of the United Kingdom. Resources of Nigeria and the government of Nigeria is somehow in the interest of other people other than the Nigerian people. So this is what we are talking about. 
right, now, looking at the, uh, the, this, pop, this uh, possibility of networking and therefore rely on ourselves, beginning to trust ourselves more so we can build and then network with our brothers and sisters back home for a change. How do we, uh, why do we embark on this? It is very, very significant, like you rightly said. A broom, a single broom, cannot sweep the floor. And if you put, if you like pick a broom, just one out of the bunch of a broom, it's very easy to break it. But if they come together, you will break and it will never break. That is how powerful it is for when people come together. And I wish every single Nigerian would, would imbibe this common illustration. We'll see the wisdom in this illustration. But again, you should also understand that we are coming from a fractured society, a society that is divided against itself on the basis of religion and ethnicity. This was why we fought a civil war. It was the reason why many of us don't even trust one another. And Ibama will not trust a Yoruba man. A Yoruba man does not trust Hausa man. Hausa man does not trust the Shakiri man. All of this is not because we don't love ourselves. All is because we came from a nation where bad leaders use these elements to divide the people so that they can continue to hold them to ransom. So the moment we understand this and we are able to completely do away with this issue of religion, religion and ethnic sentiments, it is going to be easy for us to form a common front. A few days ago, I was in the University of Maryland. I met a man who was an able man. And we were talking. The only thing he could see is that Awolowo is a tribalist. Awolowo is the problem of Nigeria. You know, and again, I wasn't trying to defend Awo, but I was trying to explain why Awolowo did what he did. But this same man failed to realize that after the first coup where, that was led by Kaduna Oziogu and, um, and Agui Ronsi became the military head of, uh, head of Nigeria and Ojuku became Eastern Region Governor, these two great men that were supposed to assuage every other nerve that has been frayed didn't do so. They instead began to practice regionalism and were actually trying to, 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 to make the Igbos look like they are the best that ever happened to Nigeria. He didn't see that part, but he was able to see what Awolowo did wrong. You see what I'm saying? He was able to see what what Amadou Bello did wrong. These are the issue. How come we cannot just build a national knowledge that puts all these things in perspective, then we have a common understanding. This common understanding would then breed trust. You see what I'm saying? So we need this trust to be able to be united because without trust, my brother, Nigeria is going to remain where it is till that kingdom come. We are going to continue to be divided against ourselves. It, is, it, it will be very difficult for us to agree. I will tell you one other example. While I was in Yobe State for my NYC, 
You know what happened? We were hearing the drum of war. We were hearing that the houses, some guys, that coincided with when, if you remember, when they said they drew the, something about the picture of Muhammad, in Denmark. So some of these houses took, they became angry. So as a result of that, they were coming to conquer we Nigerians that were serving our fatherland. This was something that happened in Denmark. <laughs> so we were all sleeping. Man, we all began to wake up. My brother, as I speak with you, nearly all the Igbos that were in our midst were already ready. They all have cutlasses, they have guns. With the Yorubas and Benins that were just with their means, we were just fools. We did not even know what was going on. These guys, we were all living together. They have guns, they have cutlasses there. We were not even aware. We were all living in the same room. So this is to tell you how fractured Nigeria is. It is to tell you how distrust we have, we are about ourselves. And since that time, I was never normal. Like, I was never okay again. Like, if I'm beside you as an Igbo man or I'm beside you as, as, a, as an outside man, I am very, very, like, paying attention because of that singular experience. Thank you so much for that, for that sharing. That is very, very, very important because that is, um, that is a, uh, a life uh, experience, a life evidence of what has happened. And you see, uh, the issue of, um, of Nigeria, the issue of the, because it's the national identity that we are talking about now. Right. Uh, because every country, every people do suffer some, some issues sometimes. People do go to war. It's going to war is a bad thing. It's a bad thing always, all the time. But that is not the reason why the country should never come together again. You see, countries like Sierra Leone, like uh, Liberia, this uh, country that have been highly brutalized, you see, and okay, Nigeria too, okay, because we are still surviving a little bit better because of the size of the, of the economy and all that. It's not that the Nigerian government had only done very much to, for the healing because that is what is called the process of healing. The Nigerian government have not done anything to heal the population. Whenever we bring out this issue of the Nigerian civil war, the Igbo will be siding the Igbo, the Yoruba will be siding the Yoruba. It, we are very sentimental. We are very fragile, like you said, because we don't have somebody who is coordinating the narration. That is true. In the Nigerian National Archive, nobody really pay attention because the people we have there, they are not qualified. Because it's not a question of, because when we talk of uh, um, getting somebody into the Nigerian parastatus, whether you are looking at the education, Ministry of Information and the rest, we are looking for who to put there to serve our interest, not the person to serve the interest of the office, why the office was created. You see, in Europe, after the havoc that was created by Hitler, a lot of documents were created to analyze it. People need to analyze the story. If you look at the story of Africa, we rely on other people that are telling our story. It's stupid. It's stupid on our part. Despite the fact that we have a lot of teachers, a lot of professors, a lot of educated people, the only thing that they read is the Bible and the Quran. It is stupid. You cannot read the Bible and Quran as your way of showing that you are educated. That is not... No. We need to go and dig into our history. You see, the people that discovered the no culture in central Nigeria dating back as far as 3,000 years are the Europeans. 
And when we say, okay, well, the, the Europeans are not telling our own side of the story, but who, are you not stupid to think that somebody should tell your own side of the story? It is your duty to tell your own side of the story. The Europeans tell their own side of the story. Of course, I'm not saying that this must be the duty of the Nigerian government, but this idea, this philosophy, this mindset must be sold into the people so that they can have interest in what concerns them. That is true. This way they can build their... Because it will never, never happen that somebody will come from somewhere and tell the Nigerian story. It will never happen. If ever it is told, whether by the United Nations or by UNESCO or by some, some uh, people in the Europe who were giving scholarship, it is because they have their interest in it. And it is natural. This is the way it is for everybody. The only people who will tell the story according to the interest of the Nigerian people are the Nigerian people. We have talked a lot about this. Eh? <laughs> and I really want to thank you for that. Now, to get to the conclusion of this conversation, we usually end with a, with a message. Uh, what would be your last message to conclude this conversation? Because you really have enumerated a lot of important things here, no? Thank you very much, Obey, and thank you very much for this opportunity once again. One thing I will say about Nigeria is that Hausa, Igbo, Yoruba, Shakiri, Ibibio, just mention it. We are all one people. We are all one people. We have to come together to stand against people that are mortgaging our future. We have to come together to stand against people that are using religion and culture and whatever to divide us. If you look, it is not only the Yorubas or the Igbos that are disenfranchised or that are also suffering from this economic immigration that is that is very tough in Nigeria right now. Go to that village in Portiscum. Go to Nembe. Go to Ikale. Go to everywhere. Everyone is suffering from it. What this means is that irrespective of whoever is the president of Nigeria or whoever the leadership is, they're only for their interest. They are not for your own interest. That is why we still have Almajiri in the north. That is why we still have people that are very disenfranchised, people that are hungry in the creek. That is why if you go to my father's village in Idekwe, you still have people that are suffering. If you go to Ubogui, it's the same. So what this means is that we have to come together to put an end to this evil against us. Nobody will fight it for us. We are the one that will have to make conscious determination to say enough is enough. And there is no any other time to do that than now. Now. And lastly, the Fulani herders that have suddenly become killers, I want to tell you that they are not acting alone. They have their sponsors. The cattle they are rearing are owned by people. These herders have no means to acquire AK-47. Neither do they really have 
that strong will to continue to kill without fear in their heart. There must be someone that is telling them, go ahead, go do it. I am behind you. It is clear. So what we should deal with is the root cause problem, not the symptom. The Fulani Hadzma that is carrying AK-47 to kill is only a symptom of a failed system, of a broken center. So what we should be concerned about is how to hold that center accountable. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, my brother. Thank you. I really, I really appreciate it. Uh, this will be really educating uh, for our audience, for the people that are, that are listening. Because it's, it's important that from time to time we really reflect on this issue. That is what we should do as a people. No? We, we really need to do this uh, from time to time. Because if we wait that it is him, because he is the university lecturer in Harvard, he should be the one to do it. Ah, uh, no, it's the other one. He's uh, Woleso Ika. Woleso Ika is the, is the most educated. So it's the job of the Woleso Ika to educate the Nigerian people. Then we are going to be doing a disservice to ourselves. Because well, so you can have a certain amount of people that he can reach. You have a certain amount of people you can reach. I have a certain amount of people I can reach. If I leave my job for you, immediately my job will not be done. So this is a responsibility of every Nigerian, I can always say. Uh, you don't need to have a YouTube channel to do it. It might be that you are having a small meeting. That is where you are able to sow the seed, the positive seed to reach uh, for a positive change in Nigeria, do it there. If that is all you can do, that is enough. So do your job wherever you are. Because like uh, Mr. Lade has said, this uh, rogue mentality of thinking that, ah, because our man is the one that is in so rock, so whether he does what is wrong or what is right, it doesn't matter. You are cheating yourself. If you are an outsider and you look at the, the outside leader there, that he you, you need to defend him because he's an outsider. You are cheating yourself because remember that when he leaves, another person will be there. That person is not going to be housed. So, what is the real solution? Is that we need leaders. We don't care whether you are housed or Yoruba or Igbo or Christian or Muslim. We need a Nigerian leader who is able to defend the Nigerian people, protect the Nigerian people, make sure that jobs are available. We don't really want to know what you belong to. Just make sure that life is good for the Nigerian people. That is why you are a leader. If you cannot do that, then you are not a good leader. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. Rate and review Obehead Podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehead Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you in the next episode.